So our prayer, Lord, is that you would open our hearts, our minds, our eyes, our bodies to the wonder that the kingdom that is present to us and that you long to invite us into in ways we have never experienced before. So we pray that in the coming 12 weeks, you'd be remarkable in preparing the way. You'd be celebrated for the ways you prepare the way. And you'd be honored for the provisions you make on the way. We bless you, Lord, and we thank you, and we pray that increasingly we would look and be like Jesus. Would you pray with me, please, the prayer that Jesus taught his brothers and sisters and friends? If you don't know those words, they'll be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. Could you open Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 5? For these, well, open your Bibles to 5. In fact, go to chapter 7, verse 24. <clears throat> I'm trying to follow some prompts this morning to see where the Holy Spirit leads us. Chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus is talking, and the heading is the wise and foolish builders. Jesus says, everyone, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And that's how Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount. What I'd like to invite you to do over these 12 weeks, well, just a quick story. Do you remember what series we did a year ago this, today? Ecclesiastes. And remember the response of many of you? What in the world are we gonna do with Ecclesiastes? By the end of 12 weeks, do you remember the momentum that was here because of the book of Ecclesiastes? The same thing's gonna happen in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And for those of our guests, I've been using, saying a, a bit of a controversial thing and I wanna explain a little more to all our guests and then to the congregation reminding you of this. I'm asking us in the next season, let's not call ourselves Christians anymore. The reason I've been saying that, our congregation knows this, it's only used three times in scripture and two of the times is negative. The word that Jesus uses all the times is disciples. And what I've been saying to our congregation, I say to our guests today, a disciple is someone who says what Jesus says, who thinks what Jesus thinks, who does what Jesus does as though Jesus were living his life in us. And St. Paul says he is. Now here's the background of the story, which we'll come to in just a minute. Just imagine, this is a hillside. Imagine a mammoth hillside, and there are thousands of people. And Jesus turns to these thousands of people who are called the Anavim. 
These are the people who have no place in Jewish culture. These are the poor. These are the people on the margins. They aren't the educated. They aren't the wealthy. They aren't the, they're, just, they're just regular people who are just working to live. And Jesus looks at these group of people called the Anavim, and he blesses them. And he says to these people who are just trying to live, he says, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. And, and their response is, who's he talking about? And he says to these Anavim in the emphatic language, you, you are the salt of the earth. And they're, they're going, what's he talking about? And then he says, you, you're the light of the world. And they're, they've never heard these things before. And what Jesus does is gives a sermon. So often people take this and say, it's a pithy bunch of sayings from Jesus. Here's some good ideas. And Matthew just collated them into some kind of a, a nice little something in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I'm going to suggest to you this is one sermon. It's one sermon. And Jesus says to the Anavim, I'm going to talk to you and tell you what it means to be my disciple. And so for six months, I've been throwing out the seed about, let's not use the word Christian. Let's use, now for the next 12 weeks, you're going to get real specific. Now, what I've got, I've got, I'm going to blow up some stuff in, per, in per, person in the coming weeks. <clears throat> Excuse me. of mercy for several weeks as I try to, I'm going to try to, we have so many stereotypical ideas, I do, we do, that may not line up with scripture. Let me give you one example of one thing that has so affected the American church in the last 60 years and has taken us off track. So for 60 or 70 years, the American church, I'm speaking generally, has said basically, at some point, you need to confess your faith in Jesus so you don't go to hell and you go to heaven. And so we do all kinds of ways in the American church to, to have these ways for people to stand in front of a group of people and say, I believe in Jesus, my Lord and Savior. I got the ticket. When I die, I'm going to heaven. But may I suggest to you that Jesus never did that and Jesus never said that. Jesus never talked about this is what you must do to go to heaven. Jesus talked about the kingdom of the heavens all the time. And he invited people to come into a relation, listen, into a relationship with him. And from that relationship, they experienced and shared the wonders of the kingdom of the heavens. What's a kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is where whatever Jesus wants done is done. So what we have to get past is these ideas. When you read the Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we're gonna, I'm guessing many of us are going to hear these words like this. And I want to keep blowing that up. This is Jesus inviting people who are on the margins, who feel like they're nothings, and says, I want you to know you are part of the kingdom of the heavens. Well, let me explain to you what I mean. Go back to chapter 4. So Jesus begins his time Publicly, chapter 4, verse 1, your headlining is Jesus is tested in the wilderness. In chapter one, 4, verse 1 through 11, he is tempted three times. And three different times as he is tempted by Satan, what is his response to this question? Are you the Son of God? If you are the Son of God. And he says, yes, yes, 
Yes. And then what happens? He begins to preach, chapter 4, verse 12. And what does he preach? He preaches a wonderful sermon, but note verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Where what God wants done is done. It is, what's the word? N-E-A-R, near. How many times do I say this to you, church? We're not trying to go to heaven. We just prayed this. We are praying, Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. We're inviting God to bring his kingdom, heaven, to earth. And we are invited to bring the kingdom. Where God, what God wants done is done. Are you following me okay here? So, in chapter 4, you read him saying, okay, the kingdom of heaven is near. And then what does he do? Chapter 4, verse 18. He calls four disciples. And he uses two words, follow me. So can you look up here a second? Remember, many of you know this, but for our guests, pretend this is Jesus. The way of the rabbi was the rabbi would hear. There'd be a disciple. There'd be a disciple. There could be a couple disciples. And there might be six, eight, ten. And they would walk in the steps of the rabbi, listening to what he said, doing what he did, watching how he did it. Responding to people just like the rabbi did. And as they learned to do that, they became disciples of the rabbi. So Jesus says to four and then to 12, now you follow me. And what did they follow him and see? Chapter four, look at verse 23. So this is what they saw. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about Jesus spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. And large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the regions across the Jordan followed him. And then the text says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and he began to teach. So this is his setting. He has said... I am the son of God. Jesus says that to him, to, to, to Satan and others. He says to four and 12 guys, now you follow me. Don't, don't, don't stand in front of a church and say, I accept Jesus, I'm all good. No, he said, follow me. So I see Coach McMartin here. He can say to his football players, hey guys, just, here's the playbook, here's the playbook, follow the playbook. Or they can practice, they can practice, they can practice, they can practice. He can say, you do it like this, you do it like this, you do it like this, you do it like this. And they do it, and they won yesterday. Jesus is saying, listen, we don't want to train to be Christians. We want to, I'm sorry, we don't want to try to be Christians. We want to train to be disciples of Jesus. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Becoming women and men and boys and girls who want to be like Jesus. I'm sorry, Chrissy, you got a big wall hanging at you. I'll move the wall. That's what Jesus would do, wouldn't it? Breaking down the barriers. Okay, so let me give you some slides now, just a little bit of where we're trying to go. That was, that was just kind of a setup. So can I, um, but Jim, can I have slide three, please? Just remind our guests, everybody, we tried to be very clear and focused on who we are as a church family. In the middle of that bullseye is the ends policy. It's what our church is about, and we get evaluated on hitting the ends policy. People who come in contact with us are about the kingdom of God in three specific ways. Around that, we want to be a word and spirit church. Word and spirit, reminding you, all word, no spirit, we dry up. 
All spirit, no word, we burn up. Word and spirit, we grow up. We want to be a word and spirit church, and we have four core values. The first is intimacy. We want to be a people who are learning that we've been connect, created for a deep connection with God. And i got to push into this because we have so much stuff in our heads what that means. This week I sat with someone who, a difficult situation, if it was public, um, it would be incredibly embarrassing because it's, it's heinous. And the question the person said to me in light of intimacy was, in spite of what I have done, in spite of what I have done, does God still love me? And I could quote a verse that we're going to memorize. Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will experience the kingdom of God. The answer to your question is, Yes. We want to be a people identity. We want to know that we are belonging to Jesus. We are in Christ, in Christo. We are part of his family. We've been adopted into the family of God. We have an identity. We want to belong. We want to be deeply connected to God and to each other, and we want to have purpose. We want to have, make a difference in this world. Well, how about some ideas now about the Sermon on the Mount? Slides, next three slides, please, Jim. So our next three years running around the idea, we want to flourish in love. We want a flourishing up as we develop a character and a life that is shaped by the words, deeds, and spirit of Jesus. Now, the congregation, you know I do this. I'm going to throw out a couple bombs, and then we're going to let it play a bit, and you're going to push back, and we're going to talk about it. Here's another bomb. What is it you take with you when you leave this life for the next? Your character. Who you are in this life goes with you to the next, wherever you go. I want you to think about that. So what we have opportunity to do in this life is become women and men and boys and girls who look and act like Jesus because that's what we take with us. Let me throw another bomb at you. Some young man said to me, another young man this week came to me and said, why do, you, why do Christians talk about hell? I'm trying to think of a, of a simple way to explain it, so I said like this, and I was pretty clear with him. I said, if people give Jesus the finger here, why would someone want to be with him forever? Because if we give Jesus the finger in this life, won't we give him the finger in the next life? You see, who, what you bring with you when you leave this planet is your character. And what we're invited to do is to have the character of Jesus. That's what a disciple is, someone who looks like Jesus. Give me the last, the second to last slide, Jim. I paraphrase chapter 5, 3 through 12 in this way. If I was going to paraphrase it, and I'll break it down more in the next couple weeks. I'm taking, this is, this is, so on the left is verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6. And to the right is my response. This is the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes of Jesus paraphrased. Jesus said, I bring nothing. Says the disciples, we bring nothing, but we trust. We take ownership for our brokenness and our sin, and we grieve. We give up control, controlling people and ourselves, and we surrender. We long to be righteous, and so we honor others. We care about others, and so we love to will the good of another. 
We go after one thing, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We want to forgive those who've hurt us and wronged us. We give up our rights and we bless those who persecute us and we bless those who hate us. We endure the cost of hardness in life and we look forward to the life to come. That's chapter 5, 3 through 12, summarized, paraphrased. That is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And that's what we're longing to do and to be. Can I have one more slide, please, Jim? May I have uh, the next one? I'm sorry, uh, there you go. The task of disciple. And I'm going to just point this out to you. because This is all introduction. We're going to read it in just a second. Forgive me. The task of the disciple is to transform right answers into automatic responses in real life situations. So Jesus does this in chapter 5. Look, just, uh, look at your Bibles now. Let me give you the headings. Chapter 5. Here are six real life situations, beginning at verse 21. A real life situation. The title is murder. But Jesus is talking about anger. Verse 27, it says adultery, and it's about sexuality and how we treat each other in our sexual relationships. Next verse, 31, it says divorce. It's about how we are married, how we live in marriage with each other. Verse 33, it says oaths. It's about speaking the truth one to the other. Verse 38, eye for an eye. It's about being willing to forgive those who hurt us. Verse 43, love your enemies, it's blessing those who hate your guts. So Jesus takes very, remember now, he's looking at this crowd of people. There's thousands of people. And I'm guessing he knew people. In the, I think he's looking at, at this person, and he understands this person just hates his brother with a passion. So he talks about, what do you do with someone you hate? And someone over here is looking at a woman he wants to have sex with, or sex wants to have with a man, and he's looking at that one. He talks about what it means to have a sexual relationship that honors, honors God in the kingdom of heaven. He's just looking at real-life situations. And the task of the Christian disciple is to take the things that Jesus did and said and apply them to how we live today. Now listen to this. It's crazy that we can say the things we say about Jesus and don't do them. Isn't it? We say Jesus stuff and we don't obey him. Really? See, so what the, what the Beatitudes are about are fundamentally about our hearts and relationship with Jesus. So we flourish in love. We want to love the Lord our God with heart and soul and mind and strength. And we want to love our neighbors and our enemies as we love ourselves. In this difficult season of life in which we're so much hurt and pain everywhere, what would it be like if there were a group of women and men and boys and girls who easily readily, automatically responded the way Jesus did. Well, give me the next slide, please, Jim, would you? And this is really important. The Beatitudes are not teaching. This is, we're going to look at this in a minute. Chapter 5, 3 through 12, you, we're going to memorize. These are not teachings on how to be blessed. These are not teachings on how to be anything. They are explanations and illustrations of the availability of the rule and reign of Jesus in personal relationship with him. This is why we talk about things like abiding. Jesus talked about abiding, being deeply, intimately connected with him and his words. Why? 
Because we have to keep being reminded of the availability of the kingdom of the heavens. What's the kingdom? I say it again. The kingdom of the heavens is where what God wants done is done. We push. Our task is to be disciples, to follow after Jesus, to be so enamored with Jesus that we want to be like him. We want to say what he would say and do what he would do. And we want to do it together so that we become the salt and light. When it, we'll read it in just a second. When the, in, the, in the section, it goes, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Like, the context. The context. These are loser people. They perceive, perceive that they're losers. They're just on the fringe. Quick history. There were only 9,000 people like me in Israel in Jesus' day. Scribes, Pharisees, and teachers of law. 9,000. There were millions of people who were just trying to live, trying to eat, trying as best they can to have a relationship with God. And here's a whole bunch of them, a, a, a picture of the people of Israel. And Jesus says to this group, he says to this group, emphatic language in the Greek, you are the salt of the earth. You, us, we are to preserve our culture. He says to us, you are the light, the radiance, the illumination of the world. And they're going, who's he talking about? Folks, you're not trying to get to heaven. We're trying to be a people who bring heaven to earth. We pray it every Sunday. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on the earth. Listen, and it only comes through us. So may I have a big umbrella of mercy? If you think our country is whacked and all kinds, you can be either side of the political spectrum, wherever you are. I, my response to where we are as a pastor is Christians have not been disciples who are not the salt of the earth, who are not the light for the world. So I hide in my little Christian ghetto, and I talk about how bad, whichever side, the Democrats, the Republicans, Biden, Trump, how bad, everybody's, everybody's bad, everybody's bad, everybody's What does Jesus say about our enemies, whoever your enemy is? If you see your enemy down the road, give him the cheek. Oh, if they don't like that, give them the other one too. What would happen if we start living like that with each other, with our enemies? They might kill us. And then what? Oh, what a day that will be when my sweet and precious Jesus, I will see. Yes? You hear, you hear what we're poking at here? So, this, this, so the sermon, this, this is just incredible. And it's intended to be so rich. This is invitation. This is opportunity. Join the kingdom. Don't be really. I had someone in the last service, the 20-something. He told me I could get permission. 20-something guy just said, you know, it's just so, everything's so dogmatic and religious. Yeah? So I just, I just want to be around the people who just love. I said, now define love for me. Well, he really good. So here's the definition I'm going to use all the time. There are four words in the Greek New Testament for love. The one I'm using is agapao. It is to will and do the good of another. For God so loved the world to will and do the good of another. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish. That's that's the word we're talking about. So, the illustrations 
are examples of how we can have a live a life in the kingdom. One more, and then we're going to go to the passage. Okay, this, this is really important. Last important idea, and then we're going to going to read. The truth of the Beatitudes is that the blessedness Jesus talked about is in the kingdom, not the condition. So when you read, blessed are the poor in spirit, or just in some translations in Luke, blessed are the poor, it does not mean the only way I can be blessed if I have no money. The next one, blessed are those who, who mourn. Well, I can only be in the kingdom if I'm crying all the time. Bless that, the blessedness, the barakah, is because you're in the kingdom of the heavens, not because we do anything. Why, why is it? One more, one more, one more. Why is it we, so this is sin, this is grace. Why in so many Christian homes, quote unquote Christian, there's that word I don't like very much, Christian relationships, why is sin like this and grace like this? Why are we so conscious of sin, 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 sin? We, we need to be conscious of sin, yes? But what about grace? Jesus came full of grace and truth. Jesus always, except for the me's, the me's, he said nine times, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He only said that to the me's. He didn't say it to you. He was always full of grace and full of truth. We have to be balanced with sin and grace. It can't be either or. It's not this or this. It's not all word, no spirit, no spirit, no word. It's not all grace, all no truth, no truth. We, we need both, yes? We've got to live with both. So the condition is not the issue. It's in the kingdom of the heavens. Have I beat that horse in the ground far enough today? Now we're going to read part of the Sermon on the Mount. I've asked Lane to read with me. So we're going to just, I was going to read it all, and it takes too long, and I talk too long. So... We're going to read part of it. So we're going to read part of chapter 5. We're going to jump around just a little bit. And for, for children especially, this might be a little bit for non-readers. Can you just, just, just be as present as you can? If kids wrestle around a little bit, that's okay. We're just going to read. And just listen or read with what are the words of Jesus to those who he wants to become his disciples. Lane, can you start us off with chapter 5? Right here? Yep. Okay. So Jesus said... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the way they persecuted the pro for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We go to chapter five, verse thirteen. Jesus said, "You and you alone are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made uh, salty again? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You and you alone are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's go to chapter 6, and let's go to verse 19. Treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's go to the end of chapter 7 then. Chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine <clears throat> puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew against that house. Yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into, into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew against that house and it fell with a great crash. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So can I have the last slide, please, Jim? Could we, if you'd be willing, could we just take two or three minutes? So in light of my ramblings this morning, our reading of the text, what are some initial thoughts, impressions, or feelings that you have about Jesus and what we've read on the Sermon on the Mount? Could we take like two minutes? If you're comfortable, please talk with someone around you. If not, pray or pretend you're sleeping. On your marks, get set, go. Thank you so much. We're going to keep trying this. I hope in the weeks to come, you'll continue. The action step is simple. If you'd be willing to do something this week to keep becoming a disciple, could you think about reading Matthew 5, 6, and 7? We'll be in that for the next 12 weeks. Let me offer a prayer, and then we're going to sing the song again, and then we have something else to share. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you that you've given us words that bring life, words that instruct and bring strength and joy and power and perspective. You live the life that is so beautiful and winsome, so powerful and so true, and you invite us to join you in all of that. So we give you thanks and praise and pray that through us, your people, with brothers and sisters around the world, your kingdom would come and your will would be done on the earth as it is in heaven. 
And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.